you may be seated. That's more than a song. That should actually be our testimony. As God's children, that should be just, that's our testimony of our standing. It is well with my soul. This, the, the last message of the year is really about two things this morning. It's one about being chosen. And I want to talk to you about what it means to be chosen this morning. And it's secondly about regifting. Everybody, without me making a long explanation, will know what regifting means. It means you get a gift, and somewhere along the way you wrap it up and represent it and gift it to another person. And in the world of gift giving, uh, when it comes to a toaster or something, uh, uh, Regifting is maybe not, you know, the coolest thing to do. Uh, uh, but when it comes to the gospel, and when it comes to making disciples, what I want you to lock onto this morning is every one of us this morning who have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, every one of us who have received the gift of having someone invest a year or two of their life into us to disciple us, we who have received the blessings of God are obligated by God Himself to re-gift those blessings to another. I want to be very clear on what I'm saying this last Sunday of the year. Christianity is not about attending church. Now, I hope you do attend church. If you're a Christian, you're, you're commanded to, and there's a reason to, and we've talked about that a few weeks ago. But Christianity is not about adopting a certain dress code and coming to church on Sunday and that's, you know, that, that's what, it's not what it's about. What it's about is receiving Christ, becoming a disciple of Christ, and then reinvesting. See, you receive, I don't know who posted this the other day, but there's a Megan Frazier or somebody who had a beautiful post on Facebook about uh, benefiting, about receiving the blessings uh, uh, that come from the church. But once we've received those, now it's time to get on mission and give those blessings to someone again. You're called to be on mission. So let's lock those two things in our brain and let me, let me elaborate on that. For a few, oh, there you are right there. Was that you that posted that? Somebody did or you reposted. Post it again today for everybody to see. That was glorious. Uh, this past week we've all exercised the power of choice. We chose who we would give to, who we would gift what we would give them, how much we would spend on what we were buying, whether we were going to flatter them with a the small or give them some room to grow with a large. You had to decide all of those things. You know what I'm saying? And so you made lots of decisions, and you chose, based on your budget, who you were going to give because, Brian, we just can't give to everybody. I mean, the resources are somewhat limited, at least in my bank account, and I am just assume some others. So you go down that list, and even though you love some people very dearly, they're just not, and they don't expect it either. But you chose, and it's probably spouse, kids, grandkids, you know what I'm saying, that closest circle, who you would give a gift to, and how much you would spend. And when we're making choices, that's a powerful thing that we can exercise. On the other side of that equation of choosing is the anxiety we get when we think about not being chosen. I think there's a fear that every one of us bring into adulthood, and that's a fear we had from middle school when the coach said, you're a captain, and you're a captain, let's choose teams. Does everybody know what's coming next? And you get this sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, because you're thinking, you're thinking, what if 
I'm chosen last? What if I'm not chosen? You know? And very few of us are that athletic that we're at the top of that. You know, we're not going to be the first round draft choice, most of us, unless your name is White or Cooks or something like that. You're not going to be in the first round draft. And we're worried, is anybody going to pick us at all? And that anxiety that we get in elementary or middle school, we carry that all the way into our adulthood, the fear of not being chosen. For adults, it looks a little different, though. Obviously, we're not playing shirts and skins basketball. We're touch football. In the adult life, we carry that anxiety over to uh, things like, what if I'm not chosen for a date? What, What if no one chooses me? For a life mate, am I destined to be alone as as an adult and not have that special person in in my life? Uh, I'm applying for jobs. What if I'm not chosen for the position? I have a job. I'm trying to move up a little bit. What if I'm not chosen for the promotion? And you get that sick feeling in your stomach when you think about what does it feel like not to be chosen? The beauty of the Christmas story is the Christmas story is a story about all kinds of people, honestly, being chosen. Whether a magi or whether they're an espoused man and woman named Joseph and Mary or whether it's a beautiful little city south of Jerusalem being chosen for a special thing or these magi moving from from east to west. They have, you understand, different people are being chosen all throughout the story. Even the angel Gabriel is chosen for certain messages to relay, appears to Mary, appears to Joseph. He has speaking parts all through uh, the the Christmas story. There's another group of characters we've not talked about, so I want to talk about them this morning because to me they're like the epitome of being chosen for something. They were the lowest tier of society, uh, completely, you could live your whole life, they're just like background noise, you would never notice them. They're just there. Does that make sense? They have a job tending sheep out in the fields. And if you lived in this agrarian society, shepherds were just a part of the backdrop, not necessarily people who shaped any policy or did anything meaningful. They're just part of the background noise of your life while you're doing whatever you do. See the sun, see the sky, see the hills, see the sheep. There's the shepherds. Move on with your life. Nothing's happening here. That's what it looked like. But these shepherds are chosen in this story in a very unique and special way. We know it's night. They're out in the field sleeping with the sheep. And in the dark of night, the Christmas story picks up this narrative. Let me read Luke 2, verse 9. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Let me pick up one word here, uh, three English words, shone around them. Old KJV, Old English. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, it says. And takes like three English words, and this is not uncommon. takes three or four English words to describe one Greek word. Glory of the Lord shone round about them. The Greek word is perilampo. Perilampo. It's where you get your word perimeter. The perimeter of the light shining right here on the platform. The perimeter. Perilampo. It's also where we get the word halo. A circle of light shining around. So here's what we don't know. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, holding around them. We don't know if there was like a spotlight coming down from the sky like this where the angel stood 
and there started talking to the shepherds, or if B, they within their own beings, because they had been in the presence of God, does this make sense, emitted a light so bright that they were haloed in light. Does that make sense? It's where we get the word halo. And if you go to any of the ancient museums of the world, again, and see the paintings of, of, of Christian history, anyone who was dubbed a saint or the holy family or what you'll always see this little gold circle around the top of their head in all of those museums and in all of those paintings perilampo halo of light glory of the lord shone round about them now i don't think it was a little sliver of gold like a crown i think we're talking like maximilian spotlight is what i think we're talking about here anyway what i want you to get the sense of If you lived in the first century and you were a shepherd and you were out in the fields, it's dark. Now, anybody raised in the country? Listen, when it gets dark in Graham, it gets dark out in the sticks where you're from, for sure. Anybody raised in the country over here? Listen, when it gets dark, it's dark out there in the boondocks. And the glory of the darkness, Rachel, is when it gets dark, talk to us. The stars at night are big and bright. Yeah, exactly. Deep in the heart of Texas. So the darker it is, the more intense this light is going to be. Listen, they're in the first century Bethlehem. They're not a street lamp in Bethlehem. You know what I'm saying? First century, they're not a, they're not a, they're far enough from Jerusalem. The light didn't bleed down there. There's no light pollution. There's no noise pollution. They're sitting out on a hill in the middle of the night. It's, it's just dark is all I can tell you. And when the angels appeared, they were greatly afraid. This light shining. Now, let me jump down to verse number 10. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now, I told you in the Christmas story at least three times that I counted very quickly. The angel is always saying, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Whenever God appears to man in this Christmas story, like the first three words are always, calm down. Don't be afraid. (sighs) Breathe. It's going to be okay. Do not be afraid. Listen, if I could just give you one message going into a new year. Listen, if if 18 has been rough for you, just let's put that behind us now. (sighs) Reset. And let's go forward without fear. Do not be afraid of what's coming in the new year because God's got you. And God's got this year and He's already seen what's going to unfold. Nothing's going to take Him by surprise. Do not be afraid. I bring to you, in other words, they thought this was bad news. Here comes an angel. We're about to all get clobbered right now. Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy which shall be to all people. Now, if I'm a shepherd right now, the backdrop of Nothingsville, I'm wondering why they're giving a message to me that's going to be to all people. But we're going to find out in just a minute why. Do not be afraid, the angel said. I did not come to intimidate you. I did not come to give you bad news. Now, I don't know if you watch the news. We have any news watchers in here? I know that some some people I know turn on the news. It's on 24-7. Now, let me just tell you a couple of secrets, okay? After about 10 minutes, they just re-loop the same thing. Can I get a witness? So if you're watching it all day, you're just drugging yourself with bad news. 
And the way you create a pessimist is to just inundate them with bad news all the time. Does that make sense? So some of you for 2019 need to go on a news diet, a news fast. Some weeks don't even turn it on, okay? It's not going to change your life too drastically. And just, just, just give yourself little limited amounts of that, just like you would sugar or anything else. Just little limited amounts of that so you don't get overly pessimistic about everything that's going on in the world because the news is never good news. True. It's only bad news. The gospel is completely the opposite. When God showed up, he said, don't be upset. It's not like any other news on the, uh, that you, the world brings to you. I'm bringing to you good news. I've got happy things to say, glad tidings. It's going to result in joy and peace and happiness to everyone's life who this message can touch. I'm going to tell you, and then you're going to tell other people, and every life this message touches has the potential to bring peace and joy and happiness to that life. Verse number 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, does anybody know what it says? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because there's a whole theology right here. There's a whole story of salvation in this little verse. There's the whole story... For those of you who are already saved and you think Jesus died on the cross to give you forgiveness and a home in heaven and a new body and a position without you having to do anything with no obligation about the lordship of Christ in your life, that there are no rules and you can do whatever you want. He doesn't care whether you're sanctified or not or whether you're on mission or not. This verse destroys that myth of modern Christianity that is permeating and rotting the core of our nation. This verse says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, let's identify him, it's Christ, it's Jesus Christ, and his title, he cannot be Savior unless you intend to make him Lord of your life. One does not come without the other. And we have received the saving grace of Jesus, and then we've thumbed our nose at anything that says, be holy, live clean, don't put evil things before your eyes, let your speech be pure, think on these things, happy thoughts. You see what I'm saying? We've said yes to salvation, and we've said a no, a resounding no, to Jesus being in control of our lives. That's a myth. That is not Christianity. That is not even real salvation. And if if you've been struggling with that, then here's the perfect opportunity at the close of one year and the open of a new chapter of your life to bow your heart this morning before your Savior who is Christ and say this morning, I'm sorry, from this day forward, you will be the Lord of my life. And when I see what you want me to do and I hear your voice and I read your word, I will do what you ask me to do because you are not just my Savior, you are my Lord. Let me go down to verse number 12. We need validation. We need validation because we're human. As I said on Christmas Eve night, never, don't be upset and don't think you upset God by asking questions. 
The angel said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. Remember what she do? She started asking questions. How can this be? I'm not a man. I don't understand how this works. What's going to happen? You know, she was filled with questions. That's normal. That's okay. And God's not afraid of your questions. I was at the, had a doctor's a visit to, uh, maybe, was that yesterday maybe? No, the day before yesterday. And uh, as I was coming out of the doctor's office, there was a guy there, and he just stared me down. I'm just like, man, I know this guy from somewhere, and you know. And uh, so I paid my bill, and I walked across the lobby, and I thought, well, I'm going to get to witness to him or whatever, you know. And, and I said, hi there. I, I just, you looked at me like you know me, and I think I know you, and where have we met? And he's like, well, I live right here. And I, we, we couldn't figure out where we met. And, and I said, well, uh, maybe we met through... You know what I do vocationally? I said, I'm the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church right down the street here. He said, well, it wouldn't be that. <laughs> yeah. Or he said, it might be that. We could have met on a blog somewhere. He said, I am an avid pronounced atheist. Pleased to meet you, Pastor. And, uh, you know, and so we had a nice little conversation right there in the lobby. It comes to be that we don't actually know each other. Uh, but here's what I want to say to you. If you're not sure, God's okay with you not being sure. Put him to the test. Try me and see, says the Lord. He's not afraid for you to throw a fleece down. The reason we even have this saying is because people like us, we're putting fleeces down, literally. Gideon was unsure. And so he said, God, I've just got to know. I've got to do something to know. We are humans. We need validation. We need evidence. We are not that strong in faith just to receive everything and believe it. Sometimes we need some Evidence. We need some other validation. So here's what happened. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to need validation. God's already anticipated you needing validation. So he did something very unusual in the birth of this Savior. And, and here's how you'll know you've got the right baby. Because after all, if I said to you, in Fort Worth last night, a baby was born who's the Savior of the world. There were a lot of babies born in Fort Worth last night. How would you know you've got the right one? You see what I'm saying? And so he said, I'm going to set up the validation for your curiosity, so you'll know it's the right one. In this particular birth, I have prepared a very unusual nursery. I'm talking to shepherds, and I'm going to ask you to go to Bethlehem, and you'll find the Savior of the world in a sheepfold. Go to your place. If you were going to push the sheep into a safe place, there in Bethlehem, down the street, it's your place. You know the places. Go to the OK Corral down there, and you're going to find the Savior in the corral. That Texans are ranchers. We don't do sheep too much, but that's the equivalent. Go down there to the corral, and you'll find the baby born in the sheepfold. And this is what it reads like in verse 12. And this will be a sign. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. After they got the validation they would need, and suddenly there was with the angel... A multitude. The Greek word is plethos. It's where you get your English word, a plethora. You got a plethora of Christmas gifts. You got a plethora of Christmas cards. You get a plethora of something. And suddenly there was with a the angel a multitude, a army, a plethora of angels praising God and saying, here's their message, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill 
toward men. As I told you a few weeks ago, we don't, we, we don't know who composed the first Christmas carol. We know where it was composed. It was composed in heaven, either by God or by one of the angel choir directors. Maybe by Gabriel himself. I don't know. But it was composed in heaven. It was delivered on earth. And one angel started and then a multitude of angels joined in. Their song, their message was, it's almost like our praise, our worship, and our, our prayer. First to God and then to, to encourage each other. Glory to God in the highest and then on earth peace, goodwill to men. Here's my question to you. Why to glory to God in the highest? The angels came down and said this. Now remember. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign. You'll find the babe wrapped in salt and cloths, lying in the manger. Wah! They start singing. And here's their song. Glory to God. Why glory to God? Glory to God because he just solved the biggest problem mankind had. He just solved the problem between the law of a holy God and the love of a holy God for his creation. God just solved the biggest problem in the universe between what Satan was doing and between what God was doing. And when we could not help ourselves, God said, I have now intervened. The time is right. I have now intervened. Go and announce the birth of the Savior. And here's their announcement. Glory to God. Why? He's solving your problem. That's why. Let it play out now. He's fixing everything that's broken by what's happening down there in that sheepfold in Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest. And for you guys, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. You say, how could they say peace on earth when there is no peace on earth? Well, there's peace in every heart who receives this message. I hear to people all the time say, well, more wars were started by Christianity than any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Genghis Khan didn't start any. You see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, that's not true. Uh, but where the gospel is received and where people receive Christ and submit their lives to Christ, it's the only shot at peace we've got. And ultimately, when the Prince of Peace sits on a throne in Jerusalem, there will be peace on earth. The Bible says, Psalm 2, he'll rule them with a rod of iron. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be in absolute control, and there will be peace on earth. What, what the angels were saying is God is launching something called Christmas. And it's going to result in the salvation of millions and billions and billions of human beings this is not a Savior for shepherds or a Savior for Pharisees or even just a Savior for Jews. This is a Savior for white people and black people and brown people and yellow people and every kind of people. This is a Savior for everyone that is being born. This is a gift so lavish and a price so high on the gift-giving scale that no one but the King of Kings, no one but the Creator of the universe could have paid for this gift that's being bought right now and when it cost god everything he said it's worth what i'm getting it's value to me i love people that much for god so love the world not the planet not the ocean you the people 
He loved you so much that he would not withhold Jesus Christ, heaven's richest blessing. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away. So here's what we know. They sang birth announcement, if you would. Birth announcement. Glory to God. Peace on earth. And then when the birth announcement was over and the mission was delivered to the shepherds, then it simply says, when the angels had gone away into heaven. I just want you to imagine the scene. Light, music, gone. Crickets, 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 dark. And I want you to embrace this. Because sometimes we are so confused about what it means when the supernatural touches our lives. We think we're going to live in this halo from here on in. That's never the way it's worked in the Bible ever. When Moses came off Mount Sinai, he had the halo. But it faded over time. It faded over time. You understand what I'm saying right now? The angels are there. They just had, they just had a meeting with heaven right there on the side of a mountain in Bethlehem. And then, shh, gone. I'm very human. And so I try to put myself into their, thought, their head, try to get in those shepherds' heads. And Mike, what I'm thinking right now is as soon as that, shh, gone. I think one of them looked at the other and said, what did you put in the fire? Were <laughs> you gathering sticks or mushrooms? What just happened here? Seriously, did I just, did that just happen? Is, is the language I think would have come next. Did that just happen? And I think this is why there's more than one shepherd. We don't know how many, but I think this is why more than one. Because if there's one, you're just like, I'm losing it. I'm going crazy. You know what I'm saying? No one would ever believe. There's plural shepherds, and God knows exactly what he's doing. And when the angel song ended, they went away back into heaven. Here's another question I want to ask you. Why didn't they stay? Listen, if there's a message that needs to be told to people, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men, a Savior is aboard. If there's a message to declare to human beings, why did not the angels stay and declare the mission to human beings? Why didn't they go around just say, we're here now for the next 50 years and we're just going to go all over the world, flying from city to city, on tour, uh, doing crusades, and we're going to go tell everybody that a Savior is aboard. But the Bible says, shh, gone. And I'm the shepherd. I'm like, well, why, why didn't they stay? Because that was much more impressive than this. You see what I'm saying? Why didn't they stay? And the answer is so simple that we miss it. That's not their mission. Their mission was to announce the birth. It's your mission and my mission to present the gospel to a new generation. That was their mission in their generation, and it's your mission and my mission in our own generation. It was Peter, James, the first disciples, it was their mission. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. But what happened in Acts chapter 1? One page turned in your Bible, in the timeline. Jesus goes to heaven, and the disciples are like, wow, that was the coolest thing ever. And the scripture tells you, Acts 1, that angels had to come down 
and kick those guys in the behind. It sounded like this, though, but it's a rebuke. The angels came down and said, Hey, you men of Galilee. Hey, eyes here. Why stand you gazing up into heaven? What did he tell you to do? Go make them. Get to it. You have a mission. Glory's gone now. Now we're back to real life again. You see what I'm saying? Now we're back to got to get groceries from Kroger and got to get gas in the car and got to drop the kids and pick them up. Now we're back to real life. And that's where the disciples were standing. Now, uh, yeah, my wife told me I've got to run by Walmart on the way home. Oh, Jesus just left, but I've got to go to Walmart here. And they had lives, just like you have lives. But here's what the angel told them. Get on mission. The angels didn't stay because it wasn't their mission to stay and preach the gospel to the world. Uh, it appears that maybe in the book of Revelation we'll get a little something like this from, from, from some people. But this is not that time. This is your time. This is my time. Now, do you sometimes bemoan the condition of planet Earth? Do you sometimes bemoan the condition of your culture in America, society going to hell in the handbasket and crime and drugs and, and, and relationships fall apart, marriages aren't strong? And, and you, do you sometimes bemoan the condition of humanity? Then get on mission. We say, well, the world's in a mess. Hey, we're on the world. We're here in the world. We're part of the world. Well, society's really doing bad. Hey, I'm part of society. You're part of society. Listen, what I'm saying to you this morning is be the cure. Be, be the solution. Uh, get on mission. Uh, let's make a difference in our generation. So here's what it says. So when it had happened, the angels had gone away. The shepherd said, well, we better get on mission. Let us go to Bethlehem. Matter of fact, let us now go, urgency, to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us we have something to do let's go validate it now from all appearances it's it's dark i don't know if it's middle of the night 3 a.m dark or it doesn't matter it's nighttime and they didn't say hey when the sun comes up oh gosh let's go get somebody to watch these sheep for us and then we get that secured let's swing into ihop get stack pancakes probably their coffee's terrible let's go buy starbucks get something to drink and then let's then let's go down to Bethlehem, fill the car with gas. Let's go down to Bethlehem, and then let's got the tires rotated. But once we get that done, let's go on down to Bethlehem. Wife wants me to stop by Walmart too and get some for salad for tonight. Let's get that done. But then let's go on down to Bethlehem, and let's check this thing out. It did not look like that. The scripture says, whoosh, "Angels gone." They're looking at each other and said, "Let us go now." In your English, it reads, let us now, go. same difference, let's go now is the point. And you'll see that coming in another verse, let's go now. Now, obviously, God had a reason for choosing shepherds to be the first messengers. Shepherds have some wonderful qualities. They have some nasty qualities, too, but they have some wonderful qualities. They're patient, they're tough. Uh, they're, they're kind, uh, they're tenacious, they're protectors, uh, 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 they're eager. So they said, well, well, let's go. And they went down to Bethlehem, 
straight away, middle of the night. Don't know what happened to the sheep, honestly. I assume they folded, filled the sheepfold somehow and headed on down to, to Bethlehem. Maybe they drove the whole herd right through the middle of town, bleeding right in the dark of night. I don't know, but down they went eagerly. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is God is speaking to many of you about what your future looks like. He's speaking to you about how you're going to use your resources for ministry, how you're going to get on, on the mission, or how you're going to make a commitment to the church, how you're going to make a commitment of your time and your talent and, and who you are as a human being to the mission that God has called you to. And as you're, you're embracing that, I want to say to you, as you're trying to figure out all that God wants you to do, start doing the obvious now. Don't wait until you figure everything out about everything to start doing something. You know to do some things now. Start right there. You'll figure the rest out as you go, but you'll never figure out the rest if you don't do now what you already know to do. So just get on mission as best you know how. The rest will unfold before you. And so they got on mission. And what I want you to see this morning is God's people are characterized by a sense of urgency. It has always been this way. It has never been any different. If you read the New Testament, no one is, is just sulking about in slow motion. People have a purpose and they're on mission and they're going for that mission. Man, read the life of Paul. He can't go far enough, fast enough. He's pedaled to the metal trying to get the gospel out, get people discipled just as much as he can in the time that he has. I want to clue us all in. We ain't getting any younger. And for those of you who think you're really young and you've got the world by the tail, you're going to wake up in the morning and your hair is going to look like this. It just happens like that. I can promise you it happens like that. So many things. I need to write a whole sermon series about what I'd do different if I had to do it over. Maybe I will. But one of the things I would do is I would, I would do some crazy different things between 25 and 35. Especially in that window. Between 25 and 35. And if you're in that window, listen, I'll be glad to pray with you about, about being really adventurous when you're 25 to 35 because that won't come around again. And you better be really adventurous in that little window while your, your body and your mind and your reflexes can do it. You have the ability to do some things for Jesus you will not be able to do later in life. Now, for some of you who are old and wise and gray, there's some things you can do when your hair turns like this that you couldn't do when you were 35 because you have a, a certain experience and a knowledge you didn't have then. And you need to be praying about that too and saying I'm older and wiser and what I should know better to do to do better in some certain areas of my life. So here's what it says. Uh, they're about to move with haste. And so I want to say to you there's a lot of things you need to do. And I just can't imagine how you, anyone, myself included, uh, can come to church week by week and be in the Word of God and be in a small group and God not be continually speaking to you about things that need to be adjusted in your life. Because that's the case with me. And I'm just, I know I'm projecting on you. But if you're in the Word and you're hearing the message and you're in the Word, God is constantly speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to transform you. And there are things in our lives, there are changes that every one of us need to be, so changes we need to be making in the coming year. I'm saying to you, start today. And say, God, you've been talking to me about some things I need to do, I have some changes I need to make. The answer is yes, always yes, and I'll start right now. 
starting to do what I know you want me to do. Verse 16, and they came with haste. This is how I know they were in a hurry. They said, let's go now. Next verse says, and they came with haste. This is a beautiful Greek word. When I say it, you're going to conjure up an image. Not always the Sunday morning image, but it's the Greek word spudo, speedo. Now, when you say speedo to an American, they think about European swimwear for men. Okay, I get that. Uh, and you're in your mind, you can see like a Michael Phelps, you know what I'm saying, type, very minimalist swim attire. And I've told you this before, this is the Greek word spudo, speedo is what it is. The, the, the swimwear company are geniuses to name their swimwear this. Because you know what it means? That's what it means. With all speed. Lightning. Quickness. And so Paul used this word. Uh, uh, Luke used this word when he's writing the Christmas story. The shepherds went. They put on their speedos. You just remember, the shepherds are in speedos. That's how fast they're going. And uh, the shepherds went with speedo to Bethlehem. It means they went like lightning. They didn't mess around. They got right down there to check it out. And here's what I want to clue you in, and I want to clue my atheist uh, friends in. When you get to where God wanted you to go, you're going to discover that it's exactly as the messengers of God told you that it was going to be. Men can resist the Word of God. The world can push back on God, and they do continually. Men can deny Him as Creator. They can deny Him as Savior. They can say He's not Christ the Lord. But when you take your journey, you're going to discover it's exactly as God told you it was. Which means there is a heaven, and there is a hell, and there is a Lamb's book of life, and there are streets of gold. You're going to find when you close your eyes and take your journey, that there are supernatural beings in the universe all around you. You just couldn't see them with the set of eyes you had from your mother and father. But now that you've stepped out of this body and your soul body has taken its journey, you're going to see them all. They're all around you right now. You just can't see them. You say, well, that's going to be cool. No, it's going to be terrifying. Haven't you been listening? Fear not. <laughs> Fear not, they always say. Why? Because it will blow your mind. That's why. We're not here to hurt you, they keep saying. We're not here to intimidate you. We're on God's team. But I want you to know all the beings that are out there are not on God's team. There's another army out there too. And there's a battle ensuing. Here's, here's what we need to take away. When they got there, it was exactly as God had told them it would be. The God who created the universe has chosen you. He loves you. The God of the universe chose to become like His creation in order to be able to say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The God who loves you was made like you, but not like you living in Westlake. Like the lowest of you, born to a peasant carpenter family and laid in a manger at his birth. You say, why? Because he loves you and he chose you. And that choosing you and loving you meant he also had to choose to be like you, means he also chose to die for you, means he also chose to save you. And if you'll just say yes to Jesus Christ this morning, you're going to begin to discover what it means, peace on earth 
peace in your heart. My peace I'll give you. My joy I'll give you. You're going to understand what love is really about. Now, let me get to a few things I need to say. I'm going to cut you loose. So you, you have a mission, and your mission is to re-gift the gospel of Jesus. You have a mission, and your mission is to re-gift the gift that you have been given. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, and they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, the angels told them something concerning this child. Here's what they told him. Front, Jesus born the same of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what they were told about this child. He is Christ. He's the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. He will save you from your sins. And He is the Lord of the universe. And He wants to be the Lord of your life. They made widely known that message about Jesus Christ. Now let me come back to it again. The candles will be put away after today. And, and even after, you know, the, the, I noticed the radio stations have killed the Christmas carols already. We're done. Uh, Tommy's in the room, aren't you, Tommy? Hey, when are we going to break down the Christmas decorations? It'll all be gone. We're going to pack it all up and put it all away until next year. So this morning we're going to leave with a song in our hearts. But, but in some hours, it'll just slowly fade. It is well as big in your heart this morning. But listen, in a few hours it'll fade. And you'll be screaming at a football game here in a minute and eating some buffalo wings. And by tomorrow you'll be back at Walmart buying salad for your wife and getting the tires changed at discount tires. And you go into the gym. You'll be back in the routine. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's going to fade. The glory of it is going to fade and it's going to grow. The praises will grow quiet just like it happened for the shepherd. And the moment's going to pass and the song's going to fade. And when it happened for the shepherds this way, they immediately got on mission. I'm challenging you to do the exact same thing. Our emotions will settle. The songs will grow quiet. We'll put the tree away. We'll start thinking about what a new year is going to hold for us. What do we need to do next? We need to get on mission. We need to share the story of Christ and we need to make disciples. Verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled. And all those who heard it. Do you know what that implies? Anybody want to tell me what that implies? The shepherds published widely what was said about the child. And all those who heard it marveled. All those who heard it means they must have told it to a lot of people. Does that make sense? We're back to that plethora, multitude again. They've been running around everywhere telling people that a Savior was born in Bethlehem who is Christ the Lord. And they must have told their story with great passion. And they must have told God's story with great passion. And wherever you can tell your story and God's story in that configuration, it begins to work on somebody's heart. We, we teach this. We do seminars on this. Discipleship is about this. You've got to be able to tell your story and God's story. If you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, man, I don't know how to do those two things. You, you get with a small group leader. We will train you. David and the youth department, we're going to train you to be able to tell God's story. David, how long should it take us to tell God's story? Wow, absolutely. Take longer than that, you've lost my attention. You know? I mean, I need to be able to tell my story and God's story and just do it in a couple of minutes in a clear, concise way so that somebody can say, wow, really? 
Your life is changed dramatically by knowing Jesus Christ. That's the point. Now, you're in a similar situation. This is what I want to drive home before you leave. You're in a similar situation as these shepherds. Here's why. God has chosen you. I want you to feel a little special this morning. God has chosen you. God has chosen you to participate in the Christmas story because you are still telling the same message of Christmas all year long. God chose you to participate in His story and be part of His mission. God chose you, and you've done nothing worthy of being chosen. I mean, when we divide up basketball teams, we're picking people who can dribble, shoot, rebound, run without falling down over their own feet. You see what I'm saying? You say, well, what did God do? What did He see in us when he chose you to be a disciple maker, did he say, oh my gosh, she's like the best public speaker ever. I mean, just the cleanest, spotless life. She's just the, the most brilliant person ever. I mean, literally a halo, perilampo peri all around her all the time. No, when God chose us, he didn't get anything special. We were special to him, but we know. We, we know we're, we're nothing, nothing, you know extraordinary when it comes to the talent level but God chose us to be his disciples we often use this language you we Christians now often use this language well I came to Christ when I was a child or I came to Christ when I was a teenager I found Christ when I was 20 years old in a small group at, at the university I found Christ I came to Christ here's what the Bible says in John 15 16 you did not choose me but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my name, the Father is going to take care of you. Now here, just focus on what I'm saying right now, please. God knew you before you were born. God knew you before you were born. Your parents were not the first people to look at you. The doctor and nurse that delivered you were not the first eyes that ever saw you. God protected you in the womb of your mother. As he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. What I'm saying is you will never surprise God. God says to you, I have saw you before you were born. I know your thoughts. Hear what I'm saying. I don't think this sinks in on us. I, as a child, I was in the hospital all the time. Almost, I'm going to say it in the human way. I almost died many times as a child. It's a wonder I made it this far. Because of some sicknesses I had as a little kid. Now I want to say it from God's perspective. There's no way I could have died. There's no way you could have been stillborn. There's no way you could have been aborted. You say, why? You were ordained by God to be here. You could not have died, Carmen. Now, we will die. But not in that last go-round you couldn't have. Why? Because God ordained you to raise this family and invest in these grandchildren and make some disciples. Now, he'll call us home one day, but we still have a mission. And you could not have died of cancer because God had ordained that you were going to beat it. And you were going to be sitting here right now to invest in the lives that you're now investing in. God set you apart before you were fully formed. Let me read what David wrote. They used to sing this in church, by the way, in the Old Testament. 
This is Psalm 139. David writing a song for church. Listen to what he said. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Your eyes, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, comma, the days fashioned for me. The days of my life were all written in your book when yet there were none of them. Let me put it into modern English. When your hands and your feet were still webbed in your mother's womb, when your mother was still sick every morning from the pregnancy, when your parents had no idea if you were a boy or a girl, when no one knew the color of your eyes or the color of your hair or the texture of your hair or the shape of your face, God had already chosen you and had a plan for your life. When you were unknown to planet Earth, you were already known by your Creator God. When your parents didn't know your personality or your sense of humor, God already knew what kind of music you would like. God already knew what would make you laugh, what kind of sense of humor you would have. God already knew what your favorite color would be long before the world ever met you. And God, in those days when you were unknown, the Scripture is teaching He had already set you apart for His purpose. Do you see what a crime it would be not to get on mission? Because God, who planned for you, planned for you to be on mission. To not get on mission is to thwart the whole plan. That's what I'm trying to say. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we are bound to give thanks. This is Paul writing. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you. The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. When God stepped out onto nothing and said, let there be light, you know, dry land and water, and when God started doing what God did, God already had chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You say, well, I, I almost died. You could not have been destroyed, Amen. is what I'm saying. Because God chose you to live and to be saved. God has set you apart You were never meant to be a part of the clique of this world. Stop trying so hard to fit in. God never made you to be a part of the clique of the world. Instead, God set you apart that you might have a position in the kingdom of God. Here's really my last big thought. Be who God made you to be. Listen, you don't have to worry about being excluded from someone's group. God's already included you in His group. (laughs) you're already a part of the best group when it comes to picking groups. You're you're a part of the saints of God. You're part of the family of God. You're in the kingdom of God. You say, well, I want to be in this little popular cliquish cult at the place where... Stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to fit in with the world so much and be who God made you to be. God has chosen you as quirky as you may be. As bizarre as you may be, God has as many hang-ups as you might have, as different as you might be, God has chosen you. He has plans for you, and He has a mission for you that only 
you can do. Many times, I, I wish I could let you, I wish I had a way to record and play for you the conversations that I have with people when they come to me and say, Pastor, uh, you know, my, so-and-so, that, my mom, my, my, my child, my brother, my neighbor is unsaved. Pastor, would you come lead them to Christ? I can't. I don't know them. They won't listen to me. I'm a stranger. Yes, I would. Yes, I will, but I can't. Hi, I'm somebody you don't know, and I'd like to talk to you about the most important thing you're know saying. And I want to tell you, being rank stranger, that you're a big sinner, and God, you're going to die and go. I, they won't receive it. When I say there's a mission that only you can do, do you understand the people you know or the people you can reach? And no one else can reach them. That's why Christianity is not just about what happens in these four walls. This is just the pep rally for 2019 we're having right now. The real mission is going to happen out there in the coming days. Be who God made you to be. Let me say it in strong language to our young people. You are forbidden by God to be like anybody else. God forbids you. To be like everybody else, it's wrong to try because God made you unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't stress about trying to become someone else. God wants you to be uniquely you. And He has chosen you as weird as you might be or as wonderful as you might be. However you look at yourself, God has chosen you just as you are. And He wants a relationship with you. Your Creator. How cool is that? You say, well, if he only knew how quirky I was going to be before when your fingers were still webbed in your mother's tummy, he knew how quirky you would be. Well, if all God only knew what I had ever done, God knows what you've done. He knows what you've thought, what you've done, and the bad things you're planning to do. And he's already decided to forgive you. Because he loves you and he's chosen you and he wants a relationship with you. And you might be thinking, well, if God has a plan and if I'm chosen, then why am I facing sickness and temptation and fears? If I'm so special to God, then why am I facing temptation and fears and uncertainties in my life? Oh, I'll tell you why. That's the easiest question to answer of all. When we experience turmoil and struggles and setbacks... To me, it's the clearest sign of all that Satan has assigned some assassin to your life. You believe there's a God? Then you must also believe there's a Satan because the same book says so. And if you believe there's an angel army for good, then you also know that some of the angels went with the other side. Because the same book, the Bible, the Holy Bible says so. You say, well, I just don't know why I get sick. I do. I've read the book of Job. Satan said, God, let me afflict him. And God said, even if you do, he will still serve me and worship me. You won't accomplish, Satan, what you think you're going to accomplish by jacking with with Job. He said, I want to try. God said, all right, I'll let you try. You have permission. Touch him. 
And it started, and I would challenge any of you who are struggling with sickness or family, go read the book of Job. It's a little dark and it's real heavy, but just get through a few little bit of it and you'll understand there is a real supernatural world out there. And you say, well, if I'm chosen and I'm special and God wants me to win, then why am I struggling and why do I have setbacks? Simple. Because the other side has assigned someone to torment you. Paul said, someone's been assigned to me. Beats me up every once in a while. God has come and and helped me out here. Listen, Satan will attack you until you are so poor in spirit that you stare blankly at a thousand yards. Satan will torment you until you're an empty shell of, of a human being. Until you're emaciated and decimated spiritually that you completely get out of the Bible and you completely fall out of church. You fall out of your relationships with other Christians until you starve spiritually. That's what's going to happen to you if you let him. Has anybody here ever fallen out of church? It starts by saying, I'm just going to close my Bible a little bit. I'm just going to miss a little bit. And you just wake up and like, wow, I've been on church for three years. That's what it looks like, how fast it happens. You just close that Bible a little bit and that heart that's alive with the Word of God gets cold really quick. And when that happens, Satan has an opportunity and he'll starve you out spiritually and isolate you and pull you away, pull you away from the people who will help keep you on fire and help keep you accountable. And he'll do that to sabotage you Because God has already chosen you for success. Now here's the other side. God's chosen you for a vessel of honor. God's chosen you for His glory. You were formed to win. You were not meant to wash out. You were not meant to fail. You were meant to succeed. You were not meant to have nervous breakdowns and beat your wife and scream at the kids. That's not why God created you and saved you and sanctified you. God created you, saved you, and sanctified you and put you on mission to win, not to lose. To win. What does winning look like? Well, it it, it looks like your life being transformed. You need to make some changes and let God work in you those changes. Listen, I think we, especially as Baptists, need to stop trying to win the world to Christ. And I think 500 people need to try to win one person to Christ in 2019. Aaron, you and I need to stop trying to disciple the universe. We cannot sustain the pace we're on. Instead, we need 300 of our friends to disciple one person this year. That's all. You say, what are you, Pastor, you put too big of a burden on me. One person (laughs) would be transformative to this community. One person would be transformative to your office. Lock in on whoever God is putting in your life. Never lose the wonder of this this morning. As you go into a new year, God has chosen you. The shepherds were so fired up because they're nobodies. They're just the backdrop of humanity. Nobody even notices they're there. They're so fired up. God's chosen us. They went with haste. They went down there and and got involved. They saw Christ. They went and told everyone. And and, and what I'm saying to you this morning is your lives are forever to be entwined with the story of Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph had a mission. The Magi had a mission. The shepherds have a part to play. And you and I, in 2019, have a role to play. Someone has invested in your life. 
you take that investment now and go invest in the lives of other people. Someone has shared the gospel with you lovingly and patiently. Now you share it with others. We leave here this morning with a message in our heart. Here's the message. For unto us, unto me, unto you, is born this day in the city of David. Sotari, Savior, Hosemi Christos Curios, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Lord, and this morning he wants to be your Lord and your Savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's make a decision for Christ. Let's make a decision for the new year. I think this morning we should all, before we run to lunch, give a word of thanks to God for blessing us so richly in this past year. Jeremy's going to come and play. Let's, have, let's just have a season of prayer for a moment together. Christians are praying, and, and Jeremy, just play quietly for us, and let's, let us pray together for a moment. I just want you to think about the blessings of your life. Some of you moved to a new home. Some of you moved up to a different car. Some of you switched jobs. Some of you had beautiful babies born into your family. Listen, we, we can all count blessings. You say, well, nothing dramatic happened to me this year. Well, praise God. Oh, gosh, praise God. Remember our verse from last week that you study to be quiet, mind your own business, and work with your hands? Uneventful is also a blessing from God. That means no, no, no major surgeries, no major traumas, no, ma- no major crises. Listen, even if you bow before God this morning and you say it was just pretty uneventful, praise God for that then. Just say, God, thank you. That my life is not filled with drama. Because some people's lives are filled with drama. We're going to have some births in this coming year. We're going to have some weddings. The year is going to hold beautiful and wonderful things for us. I say it with confidence because God has chosen us. He has already ordained for you to win and succeed. It's not just the power of positive thinking. It's the Word of God. I have a plan and a future for you. You just embrace it. It starts by doing what you already know to do and then build on that. This morning, if you've come into the house of God to worship and you're hearing this gospel message and this historical view of Christ for the very first time, something stirring in your heart, God's speaking to you and you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior. That happens by a simple prayer of faith. It's not a gift I can hand you and you can take with your physical hands, but it's a gift of eternal life and forgiveness that you receive with a hand of faith, if you would, by crying out to God in faith and saying, I believe, I receive. If you're ready to make that step and receive Christ as your Savior, what a great way to end a year and start anew by becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus. This is your destiny. Why don't you pray with me right now? Pray like this. Dear God, this morning I bow before you and I confess to you that I'm a sinner. That's what I know and it's what you know. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And God, I understand from the teaching this morning that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the Savior of the world. That means to be my Savior. 
God, I believe that. Jesus, I believe that you are everything the Word of God claims that you are. I believe you lived the perfect life, that you laid down your life on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin, and I believe they buried you and you rose again by the power of God to be my Savior. So this morning, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Clear the record. Clean the slate. Put it all under the blood of Jesus Christ. I accept your forgiveness this morning. Lord Jesus, I accept you. I receive you into my heart and into my life. Not just as Savior, that too, but also as Lord of my life. Today, be my Lord and my Savior. Today and forevermore, I am yours and you are mine. Thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me this morning. Christians, while you're praying, maybe God needs you to make some decision. In the next few days, a whole lot of you are going to sign up for gym memberships. Make some resolutions to start exercising and running and eating right and being healthy. And what about what, about what life's really about? Those are important things. But what about what life's really about? Would you be willing to say to your Lord, Lord, I will get on mission. I will be a part of your story. This is my destiny. This is why you created me. It's why you saved me. I will be a part of this. My life will be a part of your story, God. You give me the opportunity, and I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to be a disciple, and I'm going to make disciples. That is my mission.